Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. Howdy and welcome back to the Ben Navarra's podcast. Today we have a new guest. Uh, his name is Blaine Sumner. Uh, Blaine is a multi-world champion powerlifter, sets an insane amount of records in national, state, and world records. I mean, at this point, just the amount of world records this guy has set just trumps the amount of, you know, just doesn't even, why even talk about the state, I guess. Um, here, I'm trying, trying to fix my mic. It's about to fall off. Um so, we're going to get started. Hi, Blaine. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for joining me today. You bet, man. Happy to be here. Um, Blaine, I just want to kind of start from the very beginning just because, I mean, not everybody, I guess, who tunes in is going to know who you are. So, I want to start back from the, from the top. So, uh, born and raised, where, where, where are you from? I grew up in a town called Conifer, Colorado, a pretty small town. Southwest of Denver, up in the mountains, which I, I guess makes sense why you we're liking Wyoming now. I guess right, exactly. Kind of Love in Wyoming. Remind remind you of home a little bit. Yep. So, uh, grew up over there. Um, would you always play sports growing up? Yeah, ever since I was very very little um i played all kinds of sports uh football and wrestling were my main sports uh but i also did lacrosse and track and field all the way through middle school and high school and then went on to play football at division two colorado school mines and played there five years uh i always lifted heavy and really enjoyed the lifting and i did like a meet every summer or every other summer just for fun because i was kind of exposed to the sport a little bit and then once got done playing football, decided I had time to jump into powerlifting full time, and I wanted to do something that would keep my competitive spirit alive. Why did you choose powerlifting over weightlifting? Ah, that's a good question. I I guess just in the training for football and all that, um, I enjoyed the squats and the benches more than the power cleans. We we didn't really deadlift, but um. I just enjoyed the more brute strength aspect to the squats and benches and didn't enjoy the cleans and all that so much. So when you finished in, in high school and, and we're making the transition to get into to college ball, was, was it even an option to, to not continue to do sports at all? Or was that like a guarantee and kind of something always on your mind? Yeah, it was always on my mind. I knew I wanted to play football in college and uh, took a couple of trips, took a couple of visits, kind of weighed my options on where I wanted to go and uh, what else the school had to offer besides um, football. And that's why I settled on the school mines. So you're a petroleum engineer as well. I guess I assume mines is a good school for, for that. Yep. Yes. Uh, not a whole lot of schools offer petroleum engineering, but um, it's definitely one of the best. And you wanted to stay in Colorado? Um, I didn't really 
care to stay, stay in Colorado. I kind of was open to taking wherever it would take me. Um, so I, after I graduated from college, I spent a year in Wyoming. And then it was actually living in Oklahoma City for about six years. And then I've been back up in Wyoming for three or four years now. Damn, you've been, you've been around a little bit. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so was petroleum engineering, why, you know, I, so I guess I'm going to preface, I feel like a lot of athletes are usually, or student athletes are seen as people who are take, I guess, an easier major. And I feel like that a lot of people that I've seen in and around the gym have been some of the most intelligent people I've been around. Um, and so was... The, I guess, why did you choose petroleum engineering over, I guess, maybe a, a, an easier uh, degree? Uh, I kind of fell into petroleum. Um, mine's pretty much only offers engineering majors. And uh, you, as a freshman, you take the same classes regardless of the major. So um did all my freshman classes. And then when it came time to declare a major, I, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um I liked a couple classes and uh, talked to my counselor about the classes that I liked, and they kind of recommended that I do either mining engineering or petroleum engineering. And uh, petroleum just sounded more fun, sounded like there was more opportunity, and that's kind of how I fell into it. Is that your full-time job now? Y- yeah. Um, I'm a petroleum engineer by trade, but now I'm I'm doing more um, like field operations rather than engineering work. What, what, do, what do you mean by field operations? Uh, so like uh, frack jobs, run frack jobs, and kind of just managing the people and the execution aspects of it. Um, the more the operations, boots on the ground type work. It's a hell of an active job. I mean, when I, when I was when I was powerlifting at the time, I was like anything that I could do to not be on my feet was the ultimate goal. But I mean, that's, that's pretty active and, you, and you're still, I don't know if you're still having plans to compete, but still lifting. Is it, is it influencing or impacting your, your lifting at all being, being out that much? Um, uh, n- not really, but I'm, I'm not doing like labor or I'm not outside, um, on location for like 12 hours at a time. So it's, it's a mix of like half, half my work's in the office doing emails and reports and all that. And then the other half is, I'd say, driving or being on location. But it's not physically exhausting. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and then you started, I guess you played football and playing ball for, I guess, in, in college. And then went to the combine. Was that was NFL the goal at that time or you just what what happened with the combine yeah it was definitely my goal at the time like when I was finishing up playing college ball that's it was definitely what I wanted to do um I I was making sure I was getting good grades and setting up a different career path if it didn't work out um but I I tested very well um like my broad jump, my vertical, bench press, all the testing metrics um, were, were really good. Unfortunately, it was the year of the NFL lockout. Um, so that, that hurt kids that were trying to um, fly under the radar and hopefully get their shot uh, because we weren't allowed to contact teams. Um, so it slowed down the, the scouting process that year. 
they didn't have rookie mini camps where they'll bring in um, undrafted rookies and uh, kind of go through a tryout. So didn't have that that year. Um, and a couple of, of my friends and teammates kind of went the AFL and CFL route to try and try and get in. And um, some of them made it, some of them didn't. But um, after I didn't get a didn't get a shot at the NFL, I didn't want to spend a couple of years trying to chase the dream that way, and just decided to jump into my career and um, start lifting full time. I was I was wondering like why. I'm looking at your stats, like so. I don't know if the if you still have the record, but it was you had the record at the time for 52 reps on the bench press, and it was like a 30 something inch vertical. And and you're not you're a big dude for move, moving as fast as you were and being as strong as you were. I was like, why? Because I know you had the the injury with the the labrums, right? And I don't know where in your career you had that or had had both or had had one and had the other um but i was makes sense that the lockout was kind of kind of an unfortunate obstacle but ended up pivoting i guess to to life i guess right to do you know, doing other things was it saddening to not be able to i guess be in the nfl yeah, it was really hard at first. I went, um, I don't know, I probably went four or five years without like watching an NFL game or paying attention to a score or anything like that. It just um, it upset me so much. And then at some point, I just I got over it, I guess. And um, you know, the the money would have obviously been better in the NFL than powerlifting, but uh, the the powerlifting achievements give me um, a big sense of pride and joy and. Um, definitely filled a, a void and a gap of the competitive fire that I was worried about missing. And I don't know if I'm from the outside, you know, I've been, I guess not competing for a while, but watching powerlifting as it's growing, it seems like the money is starting to come into the sport. And I don't know if that's going to be the reality for, um, like, like big money. Like you can actually survive off of it. Uh, or if it's going to be used as an avenue for sponsorships and things like that. But it seems like that is an opportunity for the future. Do you have any plans to come back and compete again? Um, I'm not really sure. The, uh, the the reason I haven't competed since March 2020 at the Arnold, um, that was the last meet I did, and I did the 1135 squat there. And I actually fractured part of my L5 vertebrae. And it's been it was a long process actually trying to figure out what had happened and what the injury was. And then it's um, a really long rehab time as well. So um, I've been weighing all my options and considering things and just training as hard as I can and rehabbing as hard as I can and keeping up with everything the as much as I ever did. That's, did you know it when, when you had the injury was, was it, I mean, acute, right? So did you have an immediate sense of pain and and then finally realize, like, I know you worked with Dr. McGill. Is that something like that he helped you kind of figure out? And then you're now following that kind of program. Yeah, it was really tough to diagnose at first because I've had a ruptured L5 S1 disc since 2008. And I'm very, very familiar with that pain and the things that cause a tweak um, and the things that I can or can't do when it's tweaked. I, I mean, because I would tweak it 
before I met McGill the first time, I was tweaking it like once a month or every two months for years. And I was just so familiar with how that pain felt and what it did to me. Um, and then at the Arnold on that squat, the, the pain was in the same area, but it was a much different pain. Like nerve and disc pain is super sharp. Um, and this was more of like a dull ache, but it, it's hard to describe in words, but it just felt like fragile and like super pressured up. Um, and so for the first, first many months, I thought it, I thought it was just the disc just acting differently. And, um, yeah, I worked with McGill a lot, went through all kinds of, um, tests and time and time off and exercises and finally got a, a bone scan done, um, a deep bone scan and it showed a, a fracture in the L5. So the, the difficult part about it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get back surgery or anything like that, but to, to heal a, a bone in the vertebrae, it would be six to nine months of doing nothing. Um, no, nothing active, n- not picking up anything, no excessive movement, um, almost living like a vegetable to let the bone heal. And it, that's not something I'm willing to do because, um, the, the back injury, it, it doesn't affect me in my everyday life. It doesn't hurt. Um, doesn't hurt that much in my everyday life doesn't inhibit me from doing my daily routines and activities and i still have a ton of exercises i can do in the gym both upper body and lower body that that i enjoy but they don't put stress on the back so that's what i've been doing uh, it's probably delaying the healing but um i would absolutely go mad if i just had to lay up for six to nine months yeah, but do, doing no movement, not only the amount of atrophy that's going to be associated with that, it's just, I, I feel like, you know, once you, once you, you stop using it, you lose it, right? That, that, that kind of saying. Um, I, I feel like as, with as much as you're doing and the high volume you're doing, I would imagine is bringing a lot of blood flow to that area. And that's, that's what you're looking for, right? You're looking for rich nutrient blood to hopefully continue to heal and continue to strengthen the tissue around there. It, is that not helping or like, does that go against what I guess McGill and people have been telling you? Um, I, one of McGill's concerns is that he, he kind of knows how I function mentally and it's, it's hard for me to just, uh, to do the minimal amount. Like it's, if, if he gives me permission to go an inch, I'll go a mile. So, uh, that that's one of the holdups, um, and the, I mean the other part that may help is is Wolf's law, where uh, like to heal a fractured bone, you put it under minor stress, and it adapts to that stress just like our muscles do when we get stronger. So, um, yeah, a couple couple different theories on there, but I'm definitely not going to just lay up for months. And have you made progress? Like, have you done another deep bone scan since? Uh, yeah, got, I got one coming up. It'll be about a year, year in between them. So we'll see if that, um, that helps. The the unfortunate thing is it's, um, I, I still get the same pain when I squat or deadlift and it's very load dependent. So like when my, my disc is tweaked, uh, I I could do like nothing. Um, it's not like I could do 135 and 225, but 315 hurt. It was, it was all or nothing. But with this, like everyday life doesn't hurt. I can bend over i can do 135 pounds but it's it's very load dependent so you know like 315 might not hurt too bad but 
365 hurts a little bit worse, and then four or five really starts to hurt. That's I don't know. That's kind of demoralizing. I mean, that kind of that kind of sucks. Yeah, it it does, and it's um. I think I've delayed the process because jokingly, but semi not jokingly, I've tried CTE from football, but I have a, I have a horrible horrible memory, and I take crazy detailed notes in all my training. Um, but I'll since since the back doesn't really bother me in everyday life, you know, I'll I'll go try and squat or deadlift and I'll push it until the point that it hurts and then I'll back off. And then a few weeks later, I'll, I'll go a few weeks without loading it, just doing other exercises. And then it starts to feel fine again. And I'm like, Oh, I, th- I think my back's fine. I think it's all good. And I just keep loading up the bar and pick that scab again. That's a tough scab to keep on picking, man. Uh, I saw, you know, I always looked up to, to Ronnie Coleman and, and, he was, and you know, you're not getting back surgery, and he he had plenty. Um, but I always, when I was growing up, I saw him. I was like, man, that's that's insane. This massive dude lifting all this weight, um, and now looking at him not being able to almost even walk by himself, it's it's kind of kind of scary, you know, as athletes who are, who are putting their bodies under a massive amount of load and stress, um, and maybe not always taking pushing that boundary and saying, you know, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured and kind of getting really close to that, that gray line there. Like, Oh man, I, like I could, I do another rep. Yeah, I could, but should I, uh, you know? Um, but when you are competing at such a high level, that's, there's only, that's, that's that next rep is what's going to make that biggest difference, right? It's going to be, it's going to make a big difference, but then also keeping yourself healthy is also that, that balance. Has that always been a struggle for you your entire career? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's such a double-edged sword because like when I look back at my training, the, the best progress I made on my raw squats was from like 2010 until about 2014. And I was just like religiously putting on I don't know, 50 pounds on my raw squat every year. God, and I, I know for a fact, 100%, without a doubt, the reason I was able to do that is because every time I went in to go train squats squats specifically, I could just get myself to like a mental mind state where I was like out of my body and I could get the just the most insane adrenaline rush. Um, you know, like a, a woman whose child is trapped underneath a car and she can summon that superhuman strength and lift it up. Like I was able to do that almost every squat session that I had and just accumulating that, um, over time, I, I know for a fact is why I was able to build my squat up so much. Um, but then as, as the years and the mileage wore on the back injuries piled up and then the hip labrums and the knees hurt. Um, and so I had to, to train smart, but, uh, it was, it was a different stimulus cause that getting that adrenaline rush and just that crazy, crazy mental mind state is how I was able to get stronger, but I had to start backing off on that because that is how you get hurt. And it's, it's a tough transition because like, you know, a lot of the advice that we give for someone starting out is like, you know, be smart, don't go to failure, keep one or two reps in the tank, which I totally agree with. But, um, I, I know being able to put my mind somewhere else is why I was able to get my squats up so much over the years were you always that kind of 
that out of body experience, that adrenaline rush. Have you always had that while with this specific movement? I mean, obviously, I, I would imagine it's been with other sports as well, like men wrestling and in football. Uh, but I mean, obviously, it seems absolutely like super significant and very, um, I don't know if prolific is the right word, but it's just memorable. And so was it always just this? Was it always that way when you were squatting or was there just that something switched in your, your mind or your drive at one point? I would say it was always that way when I was squatting and yeah, I would do the same thing for sports. It was just a different level. Cause you know, a squat, you're summoning it all up for five seconds or something. Whereas like a, a football game, you gotta summon it up a little bit for 10 seconds at a time over 40 times. Um, but I, I'm convinced the reason I was able to set my squad apart was because I could get there in training. You know, I, I couldn't get there in, in bench or deadlift. And I think the reason is because I mean, squat flips that flight or flight do or die mentality where it's like a, if you miss a deadlift, it's not a big deal. You're not going to hurt yourself. You drop the weight. Um, and bench press is obviously a little more risky, but I just, I still couldn't get to the same state that I could on squats. Just, I just think the sheer weight that I handle and it, it truly feeling life or death is what was able to get my mind to go where I needed it to go. I mean, that re- it really is life or death. I mean, it, you're with 500 kilos on your back. If you don't step back the right way or, you shift a little bit onto your toes or a little onto your heels. I mean, it is life or death legitimately. And not only for you, but also sometimes I fear for the guys who are spotting you like that are around you. It's like, damn, like this is a lot of weight for your average individual. And yeah, they bring some, some big, um, uh, spotters, but even then, like there's one person in the world who's squatting this and there's five people around him like, ah, oh man, it, it worries me sometimes. Is that, all, is that ever a worry for you? Or do you have your own, like they know, okay, Blaine's going to lift at this meet. We're, we need these five guys or something like that. Um, I don't think I've had that where like they'll individually choose spotters. I think, I think meet directors will pick like, they know the heavyweights are going and they'll get the five biggest, strongest guys. Um, and I, I don't know if it sounds selfish or say to not, but I, I would never allow the thoughts to creep in my head like, oh, if I miss this, I'm going to hurt these guys. Because if there was like a tiny seed of doubt on any of those big lists, it would it would not be good. So, I, I mean, I couldn't allow myself to have a fraction of a percent of negative doubt in there. It was all 100 percent like I'm going to get this. No problem at all. I mean, you have to. Right. If you let that idea of maybe missing it and you start feeling a little like oh this might be hard that 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 little thought inside of your brain might end up being the reason that you don't get the lift right yep absolutely has that like extreme mentality it's kind of it, it's very present in your in your athletic world has it been involved in your personal and and academic world as well or your, your career as well professional uh what what part of the mental so like thing? um like 
the the like so for me I, I'm I'm an ex, I'm an extremist right so I, I if I'm going to do something I'm going to do it all all the way 100 percent no matter what and it seems like you are very much so that way if you're going to get under that squat bar you're going to do it no matter what and trying to push that boundary and being I guess a little bit more of an adrenaline junkie um I don't know if that, if, if if you fit that if you would say you fit that but um is that something that you look for in your like professional life, like trying to push the boundary, not just in, in squat, but also in your career to the, to an extreme. So when I, when I try and like step away mentally and think about it, I would say yes, just because the way you asked it, I think I would say yes. But in the moment it feels different because like just to the extreme level that I go for, for the lifting stuff, you know, nothing I, I can do in life compares to taking it that far. Um, like in the, in my professional world, there's certain people that, um, put in more hours and live, eat, breathe, sleep, the work stuff in the oil field every moment. Um, I don't do that. Uh, and I, it's, you can't be 10 out of 10 extreme on everything. So, you know, lifting was the biggest priority for me and competing and, um, so I had to I had to allow other points in my life to n- not go that extreme because if I if I treated um, personal life and work the same way, um, I would have had less room for the lifting to push the limits and um, and, and things like that. But I'm, I'm certainly a perfectionist and extremist in everything I I do, but, but I guess I don't push it to the as far as I do on the lifting. Is there any thing that you have so i guess no but are are you the type of guy to like go and jump out of a a, a plane like have, have you done skydiving and stuff like that or are you are you that kind of adrenaline junkie um i i probably don't chase just the pure adrenaline rush as much as uh some people do who do all kinds of different extreme things um and it, it, it's kind of wild because whenever i consider doing stuff like that it's uh it's so funny because I'm, I'm so scared of hurting myself outside of lifting so that i won't be able to lift um <laughs> like my wife yells at me if i start to like shovel the driveway or carry something heavy up or down the stairs because um it's like i don't want to hurt myself doing this because then i'm it's not i'm not gonna be able to lift so like when i think of doing something else extreme i'm like oh that sounds fun but like how many people hurt themselves like shoveling the driveway versus like how risky is that versus squatting 1100 pounds, you know? So it's kind of funny to, that is hilarious. to, yeah. That, that is a different perspective that not very many people have. Everyone's like, Oh, I'll shovel the driveway every day, but get under a squat bar for a hundred pounds or 200 pounds. No, nah, man, I can't, I can't do that. You know, it's, yeah. it's so backwards. It's insane. Uh, so you've had the L five, um, the labrums as well in the, in the hips, uh, take me back where, so I guess what happened the first time initially, what, what caused the first tear? My first hip playroom tear was at the first, uh, IPF classic cup in 2012. Um, and I just, I did it there. And then I did the other one in 25, uh, I think it's 20 or sorry, 2013 raw nationals. Um, just same did the other hip labrum the same way, just squatting in the competition and, Really, it was tearing those hip labrums that stalled my raw squats because I 
I exploded from like 700 pounds to 900 pounds in a matter of a couple of years. And it was just on the up and up. But um, as soon as those hip labrums started, that's when it got harder and harder to get my m- mental state to this like crazy place where I could go squat because um, it, it hurt so bad. So like, you know, when you're, when you're trying to run as fast as you can or jump as high as you can, it doesn't matter how much effort you put into it. When you have that like deep pain somewhere, it's going to naturally hold you back. So instead of just being able to push everything out of my mind, I'd like go down to squat and my hips just scream. So I kind of, kind of made me lose that reckless abandon of just descending and exploding up with everything you got. And then is that, is that why you started to, did you leave raw entirely and then start doing gear for that reason? Yep, exactly. Um, the people I consulted with on my hip lay rooms didn't think I was a good candidate for the surgery because, uh, they said they'd have to cut through my glute to get to the hip lay room to repair it. Um, cause I had too much meat there. So instead of doing it arthroscopically, um, but it was weird cause I found when I, got in the suit instead of my pain being like a eight out of 10, it would be a, a three out of 10. And then just managing the technique of the suit, it wasn't as much of a demand to, you know, just go crazy and fire away. You know, it takes more skill and effort. And, um, so I could continue to improve that. Um, and I think my last raw meet was at the, uh, I did a meet in Australia in 2015 and, Afterwards, I formally announced, hey, I'm retiring from Raw and just going to focus on Equip to save my hips. But um, that was my last Raw meet, and I I broke the Raw total world world record. But um, that was before – Ray and Jezza were competing at the time, but that was before they started pushing the squat to 1,000 and all that. I forgot about Jezza. I haven't heard that name in a while. Um, Oh, man, I had a question. Just – you know, you've, you put yourself through a lot. Like what, what, what keeps you moving? I mean, you know, the labrums and you're like, no, the labrums aren't like going to necessarily stop me. It's like, I'm going to find another fix. And there's still a level of pain there, but deciding to move past it. And, it, and there's not a financial gain from, from being a power lifter. So where, where does it come from? What's, what's pushing you and driving you? Uh, is it really just a competition idea and wanting to continuously be a competitor? Yeah, I think that's it. It's just a, a state of mind. Like, um, all I know, you know, ever since I was like super, super young, I'd have like the picture of Ronnie Coleman from the magazines and, and it was just fascinated with size and strength. Um, and so it's, it's all I've, ever known and um i don't know what i would do do without it uh because it, it's crazy when i especially when COVID happened the timing was pretty good for me because i had march 2020 is when i jacked my back up for good um and then COVID happened so everything was shut down no one was having meets and for the first time since i was like a kid i was able to like step back and think about everything and there was a few times where it hit me where i'm like this is wild to to do these kind of weights to put up with a bunch of the ipf crap that i couldn't stand um to not enjoy certain parts of the meats like that to risk my life once or twice a week in my gym training handling some of these weights like for what you know there's 
no no major financial gain and after the after the meet's over it's like a handful of people will in the in my tight circle will remember it and impact it but like it's a pretty giant risk on some of this stuff for almost very little reward it's insane to me that there's such a little reward and it's it's frustrating and that's part of the reason that you know i've I've gotten into the podcast and trying to try like powerlifters people that make this their livelihood like i I talked to ian a couple weeks ago and now you and like people pay to to lift we we as powerlifters are paying to go to all these competitions and travel the world and it's on our dime and 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 so sometimes i wonder like why are we not getting paid and and it's like is it a the goal to be in the in in the olympics and even if it is like is that ever really going to happen uh I, it's it's frustrating at, at a lot to, at times to be, to be very honest it's kind of sad yeah absolutely do you ever think that it, it'll change you do you ever think powerless would ever get paid I I don't think so. Not in the near term. I mean, like you said earlier, it's certainly improved. Um, I I think the thing that still hurts it is how fractured it is. And obviously we're seeing that more and more with the USAPL stuff. Um, you know, I, it seems to me like the strong man is getting um, to the point where they can afford to just do that. Um, and if, if powerlifting was unified where there's one, maybe two, um, federations then maybe you could get there um but powerlifting is such a weird sport too because you know no one's ever gonna be happy with their agree on squat depth or some of the bench stuff or deadlift lockouts so i think there's a few things that inherently just might hold it back forever like a spectator can watch strongman and be like oh he lifted the log over his head cool i guess it counts whereas powerlifting if even if everything was all unified and there was big money and someone was flipping through the channels and saw it and saw like a thousand pound squat, but it didn't count because the guy was a half inch down. You know, they're not going to understand that. I think there's just so many inherent little nuances in powerlifting. And, you know, even as a spectator, it's not tremendously fun to watch. So I, I think those things kind of hold it back. And I, I think you got to get the big, big, big sponsors in for athletes to start to make it where they can do powerlifting and only powerlifting and it, it's certainly improved the last couple of years, but um, we'll never get to that point. I don't know. I mean, you know, USAPL now being separate from the IPF and now paying their athletes. Um, and I don't know. Do you know if they have equipped lifting at USAPL? Yeah, they, they do. Okay. Um, and then now being away from the IPF and as, as, I think that's, it's, you know, fairly frustrating. It could, I don't know. I, I look at it and it could potentially become the CrossFit, um, kind of for, for power. Cause I feel like the, these are the three fundamental movements, right? That everybody, almost everybody can do, um, whether it's at an elite level or not, everyone should be able to squat bench and deadlift everywhere around the world. I mean, I mean, it's, those are simple versus the, the snatch and the clean and jerk. Those are much more complicated and harder to teach and harder to learn the mobility requirements and everything, um, that come with that. I, I'm, I'm hopeful maybe one day because of what Crawford's doing and, and people are now attaching onto that. And now after COVID, 
Uh, you have so many people who are, I guess, more more health conscious and trying to get to the gym. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm I am hopeful. Maybe I'm I I'm I'm an optimist in that world, and and because it'd be it'd be nice to see people who are still competing and making this their livelihood and can stand for something and really do work hard. They they can actually get paid. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, it absolutely would. I have. Um, I want to talk to you about the chicken shakes. <laughs> Where did the chicken shakes start? Man, well, so the first time I ever saw it, I got to give Derek Poundstone credit because that was the first place I'd ever seen it. Um, but when I was at my heaviest, I was 400 pounds. But like naturally, I'm a tall, skinny dude. I was a hundred. I was six foot, six foot one, 145 pounds as a high school freshman. Um, it was always like tall and skinny. I wanted to get bigger and stronger because I was always obsessed with it and tried, you know, tried not diets, but nutrition plans to, to gain weight. And I just couldn't, I don't have a big appetite. I could not eat that much. And then you get into the, like the real world or even school, you don't have time to five or six times a day to sit there and chew through pounds and pounds of rice and meat. Um, and so I just, figured well what happens if i just blend it up and chug it it's super easy to prep it takes 20 seconds or 10 seconds to drink it down um it's just insanely efficient um that's so that's where it came from there's no way that tastes great does it it's horrible it's just (laughs) bad I mean, yeah, it just it doesn't sound appetizing whatsoever. But it, look, every single time I see your videos, you just you're putting those things down. Yep. And you know, there's, it's the green ones and the oh, it's just. And I, I feel like I don't know. I, I associate that with you more than anybody else. Who did you say you first saw it from? I saw Derek Poundstone do it way way back. I don't know, fifteen something years ago, maybe. And is that something that you current like? Is that the way you will eat most of your food in a day now, like how do you consume, let's say half of you, is that where half of your calories come from and the other half you're, you're actually consuming food or chewing your food uh, or is it pretty much all drinking? Man, if I'm just on like a regular week routine where I'm not traveling and I'm home for the week, regular, regular week. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent drinking it. What the f- God. <laughs> That's insane. Why? I mean, that, why would you do that to yourself? I mean, Lord. Do you also do like beef as well? I have. I've tried all the different meats, but chicken's just the best. The problem with beef is when you throw in the blender, the fat like uh, gets spun to the outside and like sticks to your blender, and then it separates out in the shake. So chicken's the cleanest and the easiest. And then are you adding a fat? Like, do you, do you, are you measuring out? Okay. Uh, one container, how many ounces per, how many ounces do you drink? Um, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but at least when I was 400, um, I was doing a thousand calories per shake. God. Um, and it would, yeah, I'd, I would do my protein from the chicken. I would throw in almonds for my fats. Um, and then I would do rice or sweet potatoes for my carbs. Lord, I just I, I I've never tried it. I've I've seen uh, obviously I, I've wanted to try it, 
and you make it look like it tastes good because I'm like, well, he, I mean, obviously, if you're still doing it, it must be good. Um, but if it, it really is for the nutritional benefit or the the, the benefit of speed and uh, I guess convenience, right? And also, I would imagine because it's liquefied, it gets assimilated into into your bloodstream a lot faster. I don't know if that's something that you considered as well, or if it was just because of the convenience. Yeah, it wasn't a, uh, it, it wasn't a, a reason to do it, but it's a added benefit. And how much are you weighing now? I'm about three fifty now. And is this a is this a comfortable weight? I mean, be, from one forty five to four hundred is a hell of a build. Um, where do you want to sit comfortably? I mean, that's a lot for a human to carry. That's a, that's a lot of mass. I mean, you're not by any means fat like you, you have a lot of lean muscle tissue where i mean where do you plan on going from here do you plan on coming down or do you plan on sticking here yeah that's one of those things i've been weighing the last shoot year i guess really um because when i want to squat 1100 plus and bench a thousand i mean i i needed to be giant as big as i could be you know close to that 400 pounds um but if I'm not doing that, it's not healthy. There's no reason to be that big. So, um, and then also part of the back thing was was to lose some weight. So I dropped it real quick. Um, just again, because like I don't have an appetite, so it's it was easy to just dial it back a little bit because I had to stuff myself silly to to be and maintain the 400 pounds. So um, losing the weight helped helps with the back. Um, and I'm I'm still at a crossroads now, like you know, how much more time do I give myself and see if the back will heal and I can get back to it. Cause if not, then yeah, I'm going to continue going down intentionally. How old are you now? I'm 34. I mean, you're still, I mean, what? I mean, still, I mean, fairly, I guess I want to say young, right? 34 is fairly young, but for an athlete, 32 to 34 as a male, I think 20, I think 28 to 32 is your peak time for as an athlete. Um, but I, I see people like Rick Davis who are still 50 plus and lifting massive amounts of weight. I mean, you could recover and heal and still be, if you really wanted to still be lifting massive amounts of weight, even into your late thirties. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with it. I, I saw a quote somewhere where it's like, the years are low, but the mileage is high. So I, that's how I feel about my body sometimes. Um, but, but also just the mentality that got me to the numbers where I'm at. Um, I'm like a, I don't want to say all or nothing, but if, uh, you know, if I drop down to like 300 and <clears throat> say I got healthy and my back was healthy and I dropped to 300 and I was squatting like 900 and benching 700 or something that it doesn't, it doesn't, light the fire for me so I, I don't think that i have a strong desire to to do that like if i'm if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna be the best i can be and try and be the best there is so it's uh i don't know if that will change at some point where it's like hey i'm i know i'm not gonna do what i used to do but i just want to compete and enjoy it um i don't know if that will happen or not but it's definitely a big crossroads and if you didn't do it then what would you do um, still lift. Um, you know, I, 
my mind has thought so many things since since the injury. I was like, oh, you know, should I can I do arm wrestling? Is that something I could compete in and keep my back healthy? Um, what about bench only? So uh, I, a lot of stuffs crossed my mind. I just still still waiting on this back and seeing if I'll have an epiphany one morning. I guess. I think one thing that I guess, and and also I guess listening to someone who's, who's been so successful. And as the more people I talk to, the more people I get to know, the more I feel like people are still trying to figure out what they're doing with their lives, no matter at what age they're at, you know, like there's always new, new things, new problems, new obstacles and new opportunities to, to make either to pivot or not. Right. And so, you know, I guess you had that, that pivot from NFL to powerlifting and, and now, now you have a new obstacle, the back and, a potential a next pivot and it's like there's there's this constant pivoting um in life that's that's kind of interesting and and seems daunting as someone who's i guess young or younger and i, I see people older i'm like man there's you, you see these people who are just so successful like wow how, like that's insane but then you know you you sit and talk with other people and people are just people and they've achieved crazy things and it's kind of it's it's awesome to see and be able to witness and be around um, motivates other people as well but people are people are always still trying to figure it out yep yeah i i think that's a very good point i couldn't agree more do um your you have your 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 app uh for writing training and things like that and so i wanted to ask you how have you written training over the last several years? Is it something that you've learned to do on your own? And then, or I guess, obviously, right. But, um, is it something that initially you started off following specific programs or has it always been something that you're kind of like playing within the gym and using that kind of engineer mind and problem solving? I would say early on in my career, like, I mean, dating all the way back to like, I don't know, 20 years ago when I was in high school, um, I quickly experimented with a, a couple different things. And then as I got into powerlifting more full-time, I've, I've tried um, most of the popular things, you know, the Western periodization. Um, I really respect and love Mike Deshier's stuff. I worked with him for a while. Uh, I visited Westside, got familiar with Louis' stuff. Um, and, and so it's, it's it evolved quite a bit over the years, um, and then just just the engineer side of me, I just be, became obsessed with programming for myself. I mean, it's programming for powerlifting. It's it's essentially just engineering. Like you're um, you have metrics and variables, and you put them to use and experiment and see what the results are. And I mean, any sort of powerlifting plan or strength training plan, you have to have um, different goals different metrics that you're tracking and it has to be organized in a fashion that you're ramping something up or something down you've got to have a method to your madness and like excel is the by far the best way to organize all that stuff and just through schooling and work it's just been an excel junkie so i i love the programming aspects of it to try new tweaks watch the results track progress um so i that, that's where i stand on it you're an engineer or a scientist. You're you're just gathering data and trying to make that data with a, a accomplish a result that you're looking for, right? I mean, you've you've worked with 
I don't know, thousands. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's appropriate to say thousands of athletes at this point, but you've worked with a hell of a lot of people. Um, is there any specific like method that you would say you use? Like, or is it a, a Blaine Sumner's method? You know, like, is it a conjugate where you can say, I do, you know, this amount of reps, this amount of sets with this, that, with these amount of weeks, or is it something that is really quite unique to yourself? Um, I'd say it's quite unique to myself. I'd probably sell more and go viral if I had some like fancy name for some fancy thing that I made up that you have to follow, but it, it's not that at all. So if someone just came to me like a novice powerlifter and was like, Hey, write me a program, um, or, or give me a program, not a custom one, but like give, give me something to follow. What I use on myself for the most part and the most simple thing, it's still like, I'd, I'd call it linear periodization with a lot of lower reps. So like mm-hmm. your compound movements, your I progress from like five to threes to singles, and then my the secondary compound stuff. So like good mornings and RDLs, uh, maybe a little higher reps and progressing those reps down over a twelve week period going into a meet. And then the I'd probably do more bodybuilding type assistance stuff than a lot of powerlifting programs. Um, but it's it's nothing sexy or special but what i believe in is the the program that someone can adhere to the most and that they believe in the most is going to be the best one for them um you know i don't think there's there's not an absurd difference between popular program a and popular program b but what i do believe in is something that people can follow and and believe in is going to be the best one for them and i think I, i have i spent I spent a couple of years on it, but I have a giant Excel monstrosity that's pretty much um, it has so many algorithms and coding in it that I've put in over the years that I, I use for people. And so I, I can take in their constraints, like how many days a week can they lift? Um, how many, what's the frequency they like? Are they novice or expert? Are you weak on the bottom, middle, or top? Um, and do, do you like, accommodating resistance do you like certain exercises or bars so i I take all that in on my custom programs and then give them something custom tailored so i mean two two people might come to me um that are similar size strength um, but their programs will look totally different based on kind of what what meets their needs um and that's what i think is the best program period that is super cool i mean I've, I, I, I don't know Excel nearly as well as I probably should. Um, I just haven't worked with it a lot in, in my career, in my life. And I think it's, it's such a great tool to do exactly what you're saying. Like all these algorithms and things that you can just make these changes that are, you know, and then they change over the next 12, the 12 site or the 12 weeks. And you could, I mean, that, that's a lot of data that you're considering. I mean, that's kind of cool. A lot of variables you're considering. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I don't know, I've probably got, I think I've been doing it since 2010, maybe was like my first, first client or 2012, actually. Um, and I'm sure I've done it over a thousand for sure of them. And I can hundred percent, no two of them have ever been the same. It's like physically impossible with the algorithm and logic I have built in for any two of them to be the same. That's super neat. Um, so 
I have a couple more questions and then we're going to, we're going to go ahead and sign off here. But one of them is at one, at one point in your, in your athletic and, and academic success and career, at one point, did you ever feel like you quote unquote weren't making it? Like at one point in time, you're just like, man, I don't know if like maybe a, a, a down, a down point or downside um and the reason i ask is because part of this podcast the way i wanted it uh, to, to go is i wanted people to listen and to understand that we all have those kind of lulls and we can use those that time that lull that setback or that that time to kind of step away like you're saying with with uh covet happening and then you're 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 back you have that time to step away and kind of figure out, wow, like since I was a kid, I haven't not pushed things as hard, right? So the, it, it couldn't be seen as a, as a failure or a hump. But in reality, it's, it's something that we look back on and like, wow, that, that really was something that was, I, sh- I needed in my life, right? And not something to be necessarily ashamed of or embarrassed of, but to look back and be like, yep, that happened and, and it allowed me to do this. Um, are there one other outside of that one that I mentioned, or are there others that you have felt in your, in your, in your life at, at one point in time? Yeah. I mean, for sure, man, just like on, on a high level, um, classes in college, like it'd be mine has a pretty tough curriculum and you'd get a test back and get a 40 on it and think that, Oh, my, my life's going to end. I'm going to fail this class. I'm not going to get a degree. What am I going to do with my life? I mean, that was like, once a month it seemed but uh really the biggest one i can think of is 2017 the world games which if people don't know that's all federations and everything side that's the most prestigious powerlifting event in the world it's every four years it's pretty much the olympics for powerlifting um and i had i had won worlds uh the year before i had world records for squat in total um i was always a risk to bomb out on squat um they were judging depth super tough, but I made it through squats. And as soon as I got a squat and I was like, I, I won this meet because based on the numbers, no one was going to be able to, to beat me. Um, I got a great bench in. Um, so going into the deadlift, I easily first place. Um, no doubt. I was so pumped. Most prestigious meet in the world. Um, I never in my entire life had I ever bombed on a deadlift in my whole life. Um, and really as a power lifter, it should be the, the lift that you never bomb on because especially equipped, there's just so much less variables to it. It's not like you're going to miss it on depth or have some, some issue with the shirt. Um, so anyways, um, it was when my back was kind of at its worst in my life. Um, and I should have been smart and lowered my deadlift opener at, at that point. I think my best deadlift in competition was eight sixteen. I think I could have opened with like six thirty and one, um, but I kept my opener the same, which was like seven seventeen or seven twenty. Um, I went out and missed it three times. So just to be, uh, I mean, biggest, most prestigious meet in the world, I made it through the hardest parts, the squat and the bench. And I'm getting there. I could have lowered my deadlift opener by a hundred pounds and still won the world games. Um, and I didn't. And I proceeded to to bomb out on the deadlift for first and only time I've done it in my life. Um, and really it was because of my back. I overestimated the condition my back was in, but it ridiculous to not open lower and secure that win. But, um, it, it was after that where I really met McGill and turned, turned, um, after meeting McGill and learning how to take care of my back properly and train it differently and just use my back better in my entire life. 
um, from 2017 there, I, I probably added another three years onto my career because um, I hit rock bottom in, in my competition-wise there um, and taught me to turn things around. So, you know, if if I didn't hit rock bottom there, maybe I would have never gone on to continue to break PRs for myself in the squat. I love that. That's 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 a really good one. That's a really good one. And uh, I just, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, I guess, say anything. You're just kind of sitting with it and listen. It's it's, it's an insane time. It, it, and I think we've all been there at one point in our lives with different items, maybe not on, you know, at the world game stage, but it's, it's real. It's real. Um, so we're going to go ahead and close off. I just want to, Say just follow Blaine on Instagram. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what your handle is, Blaine. To be honest with you, um, Vanilla Gorilla, I assume. Yes, the Vanilla Gorilla ninety two. Where does the Vanilla Gorilla come from? Um, that's a good story. So when I was playing football at Mines, when we were freshmen, before a team meeting, one of the things the freshmen had to do was entertain the team for about ten minutes before the coaches came in. Uh, so one day we staged. A fake boxing match um and we had a one of our teammates was from the ivory coast and he was the announcer and i guess just i don't know where he got it from but as i was entering as the boxer he said from colorado the vanilla gorilla <laughs> and it just stuck ever since holy shit that's one hell of a a stick man <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is super cool well there you go. Uh, I've always kind of wondered. That's kind of cool. I wonder if you gave it to yourself, but who gives themselves nicknames? It's kind of weird. Uh, so <laughs> Vanilla Gorilla 92 uh, follow him on Instagram. Um, and then also his app. If you guys need some training, um, I don't know what the name of your app is either, Blaine. What, what is that? Yeah, if they go to my Instagram page, they can follow the links in my bio. My website's blainesumner.com, and it's got all you need. Beautiful. Alrighty. Well, one last thing. I want you to finish off with one, uh, one sentence, one, uh, anything you'd like just to leave off with. And then as soon as you're finished, I'm going to go ahead and end the, end the recording. All right. I would say that anything that you want to do in life is worth going 110 on. So whatever you pick, go all the way and love it. Thank you for listening to the Ben Nevados podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes.